0: You're listening to I'm Cast and you're not. G'day everyone and welcome to the pilot episode, I guess you'd call it, of a show that if Seinfeld hadn't got there first, it could well be a show about nothing. It (laughs) may still be, though. And the second half of nothing is Dr Turf. How are you, Doc? Yes, good, Matthew. When (laughs) I was
1: driving in this morning, um, I've probably known you for, what, 30-something years? Never worked with you until recently when we did, uh, you know, the... Autumn Ticket. Autumn Ticket. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? How did how, how's this, how <laughs> have I ended up here? How did you return to a studio that the last time you were here, you were evicted about 25 years ago? I wasn't evicted officially because Noel Crowe was the former station manager and rang up and said, just don't come in.
0: Oh, the old, that was when I was at Geelong, at St. Pat's in Ballarat. They never expelled kids because it was bad for their reputation, but they asked you not to return. Yeah, well, he, so. he
1: asked me, uh, he asked me not to return. <laughs> Doc, let's get started. Yeah. I, my initial exposure to racing was because of my dad. I, mm. I mean, he loved horse racing. He, he was a punter, but he wasn't a, a big punter by any stretch. He was a gambler. He played poker every Monday night with the same blokes for 40 years. And he went to the races every Saturday and some, some Wednesdays with the same blokes for 40 years. Yeah. So when I finally tagged on, uh, tagged in with him, and... You were stone uh, straight from Caulfield? We were, but we used to have a, you may be shocked about this, but we had a beach house at Frankston, which we used to call the Port Phillip Riviera. But it's hard to comprehend that Frankston was a tourist, but it was. And, and so we used to go there every summer. So my initial exposure was to the races at Pakenham and Cranbourne and Mornington. And uh, and I just from the moment I walked into the track and... The noise of the bookmakers, yeah. the noise, and the it was it, not just your blokes like Ray Boundy, but yelling, spruking yeah. their odds and so forth. The the bang of the source. you know, even things like this sounds sort of druggy, but the smell of the of the texture, the bookies, yeah, co- you know, yeah, like yeah, all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I was a goner. Yeah, I
0: just thought, well, where has this been in my life? So I grew up in of Marsh. Dad was the local GP. He delivered half the babies in Bacchus Marshall they were kind of they watched the Melbourne Cup once a year and you know five bucks and there was a kid Nabsy used to run the um, the, the, um, the book up the back of the school bus on the way to the school so I was always a little bit surrounded by and it was the heartland of harness racing and mm. thoroughbred racing breeding and all that so it was always there but my parents never never got into it and I dragged them you know when you have a baptism of fire I dragged them to the Cox Plate in 1982 that was yeah. the first time I ever went to the races and you would i would think I was the same. It was there was nothing to do with gambling that I was attracted to. It was the to me, the horses were these incredibly beautiful, famous things that ran really mm. fast, and they were so important. What? Well, why was Kingston Town so important? You know. So well, we went there, and I took these Polaroids of Kingston Town and Manicato and Rancher. They ran in the Moya that day, and then only years ago—I know only about six months ago—I actually found the Polaroids of, of oh, these horses yeah. at Dad's place and. I thought, wow! I actually polaroids. Yeah, you're the other ones that just spat out <laughs> yeah, the yeah, bottom yeah, of the camera. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And I found these photos of a photo of Kingston Town that I had taken in 1982 when I was a kid, and it felt like I was part of history because you know Kingston Town to me is now just a blurred memory of something that happened in the past. And it's funny you mentioned Kingston Town because as
1: soon as you say the words, the name Kingston Town, the first thing I think of is Kingston Town can't win. It was it was Bill. Yeah. because in my growing up so we're talking uh you know my early years of punning you know late really late 60s all through the 70s was having bert bryant and bill collins as the two we're talking about the two maybe the two greatest race callers of all time head to head yeah in melbourne yeah, i yeah. mean what you also had Joe O'Brien on the ABC, so you don't know because Joe was a good caller, and Frank O'Brien, who was the course broadcaster at Flemington
0: and Mooney Valley, and Mooney Valley, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, we used to listen to Bert, I suppose, for the entertainment value, for the colour in his course. But I mean, Bill was a great caller. But if there was a photo finish, you bang, you were straight to three dB. Yeah, yeah. To listen to who Bill, you know, his, his moniker was the, the accurate, accurate one. So uh, we had that bloke Dennis Allen as a regular there, and. Uh, He, he he scared the Edgar Brits out of me. He was a frightening human being, I know, and and a horrible human being. And um, the cherry tree was the great Scotty Palmer Mm. had the cherry tree at the same time. We would talk about that family, and um, when he if he didn't want to pay, he didn't pay. If he wanted to use drugs in the back up the back of the. He always had the back table so he could, you know, see what was coming up. He he was a really unpleasant human being and he he was a... It didn't come weekly or anything like that, but when he came, you knew because, you know, he had the gold jewellery and all this rubbish and he looked like a darrow, sort of, but he was always wired. So, yeah, he he was the, uh, of all the Richmond... (laughs) I mean, enjoyed- a snooker hall in Richmond was in, in the 80s was pretty interesting. I mean, we had gambling machines for instance. so this is yeah, before but- all sorts
0: of um. So, what, what sparked your interest in buying a snooker hall?
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know. My mates, well, the previous owners were all SP bookies, and I and I knew them all, all of them, uh, and I bought it off them, so it was like mates to mates, uh, in a way. So, I had frequented and, and played there. Uh, and uh, then when they wanted to get out of it, because they ran their SP operation there, so we I, I didn't we didn't have any SP operation there, but we had illegal gaming machines there. What and, did an illegal gaming machine? Well, look like? there was video poker had just yeah, come in, right, yeah. and I don't even know what the name of these machines were, but you had to sort of, you could shake the machine and get balls in a line, and they were ga- gambling machines as yeah, well. Yeah. So I'd be there. Let's say it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and the bloke who owned the machines would ring up and say, oh, listen, 7 o'clock tonight, just put the machines in the back room. You're going to get a visit. <laughs> so sure enough, the gamers would turn up, gaming squad would turn up or the Richmond Coppers would turn up and they knew it was a game. It was yeah. a, they knew that I'd been warned and all of that. They probably knew that machines were at the back. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming there had been some sort of transaction taking place. But the police gaming squad was part of uh, the the police racing squad was part of the Gaming Advice Squad. And uh, they rang me up. Well, I got a phone call out <laughs> of the blue one day. And my name had been given to them as an independent sort of punter person that knew about racing. Uh, and they were following a story that a race on Oaks Day, I think, had been one year. So we're talking late 80s or whenever it was, had been a one uh, and they wanted an expert opinion on how I read the race and the gambling, <laughs> fl- the, the the flux and all of that. So I remember, like I, I seriously won't name the horses, but th- there was a front runner involved and a. Uh, uh, from Sydney, and a Melbourne horse that was known to get back in its races. So it wasn't that easy to, mm. wasn't that difficult, I should say. Yeah. To, the to, speed map was to, obvious. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was horrendous. The ride on the Melbourne horse that was a back marker was just like fair dicks. I remember saying to them uh, But your natural instinct would not have been to dob in the rort, though, would it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> my, and my advice was uh, he asked me, I reckon it was a one but let it go. It's a million to one of you know. It's easy for that Sydney yeah. horse to have been well tried because it was a front runner. Melbourne horse is probably a better horse, but you know if, if they left the front runner alone, it was you know thank your mother for the rabbits, and that that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and right. I'm still mates with those blokes ever since. And then after that, because of course you know when blokes like Mockbell and his crew appeared. No, at, at that at that time I was still going to the races two to three times a week. I was still punning for a living. And we racing blokes thought, who the hell are these blokes? Like, you know, these blokes turning up. They were just the tracksuit
0: gang, weren't they? Having, who, having fives yeah, and tens yeah. in
1: cash on, on horses. And I tell you what, they loved their jumps racing, those blokes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, with Warnable around the corner, as it is um, by Jingo in, in, back in those days. it, uh,
0: Yeah, it, it didn't look all that kosher to me. One of my best mates trained... Exclusively for Tony Mockbell, and he, mm. he's the innocence of Jim Conlon was that Jim never knows more than he has to know. And then, as soon as the whole Mockbell thing blew up when he escaped by speedboat, yeah. ended up in Greece, Jim's like, I never quite knew he was that bad. Yeah. If I had, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, probably well, engaged the, the, Here's uh, the funny
1: thing you see, I reckon we punters that were at the races on the regular basis and guaranteed the bookies who filled up. I, mean, I know a couple yeah. of them. I mean, they've got blocks of flats out of yeah. that crew. Um, we knew, we were pretty sure we knew where their ill-gotten gains had come from, but it took a long time for
0: the uh, the authorities to sort of <laughs> take an interest. My Probably my worst punting story was Adrian, so it was the very first era of the offshore betting shop in Vanuatu, right? Yeah. Adrian Dunn, there's, sorry, there's another name from, yes. the, from the past. Adrian Dunn, a, a colleague of mine, was the only guy I knew who had a betting account with Vanuatu, which required them actually answering the phone. You had, they had to pick up the phone. A yeah. right of mine, Dave Simpkin, was one of the phone picker-uppers. Anyway, I, I, Yeah, anyway, gentlemen. So yep. took a at Tarang. Gary Gray was in there at the time. It was the Hampton Street TAB. And I had my ex was up skiing at Mount Hotham with her friend. Home alone. <laughs> Took a quality, spent a hundred bucks on a quality at Tarang, which was almost every cent I actually had in the world at the time. Worked out, we were house mining a house in Sandringham at the time, and I worked, I watched, listened to the first leg, sitting on the kitchen bench, and I worked out when the first leg got up at twenty five to one. I had fifty cent unit on it because that was the only fifty cents or a dollar. First leg won at twenty five to one. Okay, back to the lucky spot. Don't watch, don't watch. Just listen, just listen. Second leg sixteen to one. Sit, 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 third leg, 25 to 1. So every horse was the pool. 76,000 was the pool. Yeah. I had half of them in the last leg. <laughs> what do I do? People talk about laying off. How yeah. do I lay off? What's that all about? Ring Adrian Dunn. I said, you've got a, um, an account with Vanuatu, don't you? He goes, yeah, yes, buddy. Yeah, I've got yep yeah, yeah, account with it? Yep, yep, <laughs> this was on a Sunday. I said, you've got to help me out here. I've got to lay off on every other horse uh, that I don't have just so I can get something out of this. It won't be a problem. That should be not a problem at all, buddy. I'll just, I'll just make a call and we'll work out. He, and Then I said, 20 minutes to the race. And he said, just ring me back in five minutes and it should be all sorted out by then. Mm-hmm. Ring back and goes, uh, slight problem. They're not picking up the phone because it was one of the very first Sunday race meetings. And Vanuatu, the bloke who's supposed to pick up the phone, he must have been sailboarding or something. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Never got to, to lay off. The race is run. First of all, one of my horses bursts through the gates and runs half a lap, put him back in. I said, well, that's him gone. It was a mad leader's track, and none of mine settled in the first four, and I was the dummy spit began the hyperventilating with about a thousand to go. Punched a hole in the dining room hallway wall. Didn't have the money to pay for it, but then had to get it fixed before the ex got back, and then I had an IOU to the plaster. <laughs> it just went on and on and on, but... The point of the story is that was the very first era of the, the, the Vanuatu, Vanuatu bookies, and the bastard wouldn't answer the phone because <laughs> he wasn't in the office. Well, Have you worked a day in your life? Dot dot I beg dot. Your pardon? In a normal sort of job?
1: Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, originally after I left school and all that sort of stuff, and uh, you know, like I worked in you know Bevel's jeweller stores, and I certainly worked in. A, did, you? did a bit of what? Pocket. I beg your pardon. No, um, I worked a little bit in real estate. I actually managed. In fact, I was just telling someone this the other day because I drove past it. But So I'm about, this is like mid-70s. I'm managing, a, a, I tell you what, <laughs> I had lunch with, you didn't mention Tony Burke, one of the great. Yeah, sorry, Tony the, Burke, the king. But he was
0: more the other side, the he, he age. Was, side, he was, he yeah. was the age. So yeah. I
1: had lunch with the king the other day and a few other racing blokes. And at one stage, and I would have been, in my early twenties, I was Tony's landlord. Was he a good tenant? I, I'm not going to get well. It racing Roy, right? let me say, compared to the other, <laughs> and compared to the other um, tenants, he lived in Brighton
0: for a long time. Was no, that, that no, no, this uh, was in
1: this was in Turek, and it was an apartment house. Right. There were 90 bed sits and I and I was managing this joint and renting it out, and and you know have to sort of show people and this and that. And then people would fly in and fly because it was only a bedsit, and we had an SP bookmaker. Working through there, who I was betting with, you know, his name was Ray McCorn. So, and he's, Ray is no longer with us. In fact, I think he was—he was killed in a car accident. This, uh, this is mm. a long, long time ago. And anyway, um, the, <laughs> the the cop turned up one day and said, "Oh, have you got you got a Ray McCorn here. We've, we've got him registered here. Uh, blah blah blah. We'd like to uh, check him out, please. No, you know, they're going to raid him, obviously. So." <laughs> I got the key to his room and stuff and I'm walking down the passage with the two coppers behind me, and I'm sort of jangling the keys and <laughs> you know, sort of coughing and all of this and um, I had to open the door. They banged on it once and opened it and in the room the breakfast table was like a, a what do you a lamin-x table yeah, right? Yeah. And Ray uh, most of the SPs would write their bits down on paper with a pencil. He wrote on the laminex with an HB and pencil, then, and then wiped it. And he's furiously <laughs> wiping the bets off the, uh, off the laminex, well, cleaning the day. kitchen, yeah, cleaning the kitchen, and didn't get them all
0: off. And they did uh, bust him, and I uh, don't know what happened. I wanted to ask you about to Punna because Punna, it was, it's absolutely iconic. But I wonder whether you know we talk about how racing's changed and the media and the perceptions of racing's changed. If you right now. Tried to get that crew together again to do a similar sort of skit could series. You, could you? Could, would it work now? Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it was a very character-based
1: show, in, in, in that, in, and that. How did the idea first? Who, who well, first came up with it? Uh, Slim and Mitchell Faircloth and Tony Rickards began the program, and I joined. I think three weeks in for a show that went for ten years, uh, and I don't know what their initial idea was. Mitchell was part of an act called the Whittle Family, and to this day, I will maintain one of the greatest acts in Australian entertainment history. And, and that's not a biased thing because he's a mate, and I worked with him for all those years, and we're still close. It was the Melbourne comedy scene in the nineteen eighties was unbelievable. On any little clubs, and on any, any Friday yeah, or yeah. Saturday night, you could go to eight of them. Yeah, not just the Last Laugh or the Banana Lounge or the Comedy Cafe, which were the big Bigger venues But there was another Half a dozen out there And uh, what they'd be like In the public bar And there might be 20 place, well, drink- no, the, 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 the Last Laugh And, and um, the comedy
0: Where was Comedy the last cafe Laugh? Where was the Last uh, Laugh Corn
1: of Gertrude And something or other Is that like Collingwood? Yeah Fitzroy's yep. Collingwood Yeah um, that's where Three Triple R was or still is, I think.
0: Is it dead now or is it Three Triple R? No, no, the last laugh. They? Oh yeah yeah, 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 long,
1: long gone. And, but these were theatre restaurants as well. I mean, and Banana Lands—they were just comedy venues. That was upstairs somewhere in else in, in Fitzroy.
0: And with things like the big gig extensions
1: of that, did uh, they grow out of all that scene? Of, you, you get any idea? All of these people, D, the D Gen and yeah. and everybody who followed them, all came from the Melbourne comedy scene in the 1980s. Was a lot of it university-based and it spilled out yeah, from there? Yeah, I think there. so. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them went to techs
0: and but, but all the that. Python crew were all uni and it extended from Yeah, and you see
1: Vizard and those guys had come via Melbourne uni reviews and, and so forth. It, it was an incredibly vibrant scene. And just like all things in those days, and even pub, you know, the poker machines and all that destroyed pubs and, and those sorts of live venues.
0: And they relied on people's... Your quick wit and that all that it was, put, put to a test It was that,
1: genuine yeah, comedy. Yeah, it was, yeah. and the Whittle family was a a country and western band. Right, and there was a domestic sort of scene as well. So it, it was almost like it was a sitcom around a country and western band mid mid gig. Yeah, and it, it was just breathtakingly entertaining and funny. So. They then started this racing program on 3RRR. Saturday mornings on 3 R were the could-have-been champions. So we're talking mm. 40 years later, the could-have-been champions are still on the ABC. It's amazing. Uh, punter to punter, which went from 81 to 90, uh, the last three years on, on
0: XY. And for listeners who missed that era, how, what time of day was it on? What was the content like? Saturday morning.
1: Uh, And the other, the third program of Triple R Saturday morning lineup was Lawyers, Guns and Money, which was Ross Stevenson, uh, who is still doing, Mm. not just doing, he is still the number one broadcaster in Australia, if you ask me, doing Breakfast on 3AW. Uh, he used to do it with a guy named Dennis Donohue, and then, began, and then it was Dean Banks, and now and then John Burns, and now Russell Howcroft is his partner on AW. So that was a Saturday morning lineup of three XY in the nineteen eighties. That was big, and everybody, you know, because you, you could go to AW, uh, sorry, Triple R in those days, and say, "This is an idea for the show. So have a crack, see how you go." So what was the what was the thing that made it work, punter to punter? I think, hopefully, the wit. You yeah. know, it wasn't the tipping. I was brought in as a racing person, um, but I had a sense of humour. I, I like to think, and and we just all seemed to gel, and you know, became a very strong following, character based show uh, with a bit of racing. So we used to do live shows and tour, and put out an album and all that sort of stuff.
0: And what what brought about its end? Oh, I think just sick of each other. No, it just it ran its
1: race basically. Yep. You know, yep. um, we had all racing changed... did. Trevor Marmalade, of course, yeah. joined in that first yep. or second year, and then obviously was incredibly successful part of the Footy Show, which a lot of you know. If you ask me, was never really the same once he left no. um, the Footy Show. Were there any punter to punter revivals years later? No, never one. Yeah, no, never one. Yeah, um, but we're all still sort of mates and. Some are still working and some aren't. And of course, the Kuda Beans are still working. And, and Tony Leonard um, left the Kuda Beans and has had a fabulous career at AW. So it was a vibrant scene. But the racing part of it was semi embraced by the racing industry in that somebody like Ian McEwen, who was the CEO of Mooney Valley, said, We did gig after gig at Mooney Valley. The VRC yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't let us on the premises.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, that's
1: serious. I mean, it's. Statute of limitations this is thirty five years ago yeah. they wouldn't let us on the joint, yeah Would, but but mcEwen said, <laughs> nothing to lose, you know yeah. he loved us yeah. and and he used us to promote racing at the moon at the valley and uh and all of that so and then I sort of joined the racing media and i was I was a bit of an outsider and um had to sort of fight to be admitted as a member to be honest,
0: was there a bit of a even with the the, the the blokes who like to drink at the uh the phoenix back in that era were they was there a sort of a, a close shop snobbiness a little bit as well to outsiders Look, at the time i think it
1: was more the fact that we sent up racing as much as yeah. we you know reveled in its glory yeah you know we would mock yeah. identities you know and have
0: who was was there a particular identity copped it more than others back in the day uh, like...
1: no we had like and
0: you know, Midge did was Midge Dutham.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Clem Dimsey, who was a race caller at the time on Channel 10, Clem Dimsey. Yeah. So we used to call him Clem... Uh, Dim Clem, Clumsy? Clem, Clem Dumsey. Dim Clumsy, I think. Yeah, Dim Clumsy. That was brutal. It, but, but he loved it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we did songs
0: that were... Were they racing or were they anti-racing? Did it come come easily to you guys the songs, or did you have to nut them out?
1: Oh no, we just write them, and you know, because when we toured, we actually it was we sang it was a musical as well, and we we would write radio plays. Um, We had live to wears where we would be standing in dinner suits reading scripts. It was broadcast live to wear on on Triple R, and we would have a sound effects desk. You know, complete with shoes and you know fake doors opening and closing, and Raiders of the Lost Cup, um, the Great Jockey Swindle. Uh, you know, so you know one of them was based on the um, on Sher- on the kidnapping of Shergar. So they're all racing based. F-
0: finding a comedy angle in the demise. F- yeah, exactly right. Which is know.
1: a great gift of comedy. If you can do that, then the footy show was a great example for footy. The front bar, you've got AFL 360, you've got On the Couch, you've got Footy Classified. The only show, I mean, I love footy, but the only show I watch is the front bar. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I want to laugh, I want to be entertained, and if you learn something, doing it. And that was our philosophy, I suppose, and in a way. was
0: You don't want a headache either. And I, I kind of wonder whether... You can't broaden your audience if you don't
1: entertain them. I mean, any man and his dog can disseminate information. Any man and his dog can give out tips and give them out speed maps. Everyone can do it. But, you know, what? I still honestly believe only 10% of your audience cares about that sort of stuff.
0: I agree, because I reckon my long-held view is, and I always use the example of the front bar at the Royal Oak, I think I think, beyond the boundaries of the industry, whatever the hell that is, the industry, Les carlion always hated that term, the racing industry. It made it sound like it had chimneys, he said. <laughs> so if you leap over the whatever the industry is to what I reckon punter to punter was trying to get at was the average person in the suburbs... Who may or may not show an interest in what you're talking about, and then if you're good enough at it, they'll go with you type thing. I reckon they they work Monday to Friday. They they get a headache with their job. They don't want a headache with their passion or their pursuit like racing. So they don't. I don't think they want too much ram down their throat. Whether mm. it's news issues, turning the tipping sheet upside down, and speed maps and all that sort of stuff. I think they have a low threshold for getting a headache with something they want to do and have a bit of fun with on a Saturday. Mm. So yeah. I reckon that's where Punter to Punter struck a chord, where you, you didn't burden yourselves on them. You know, they've got oh, enough on their plate.
1: I, I'm sure that we introduce racing to people that would never, ever have come across it via comedy, via entertaining. I hope to think that's, that, that's what happened. There's a famous, famous old jockey named Edgar Britt and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about a lot.
0: <laughs> all right. Till next time. What are we called again? Uh, I'm casting you or not? Yeah. And, and that then, role can change from and, week and to and week. this week, it's you. <laughs> it is me. We'll see you next week. Don't forget, next Monday, a massive edition all about the Bull.